Thank you, Ricky, for that ministry and music. It is refreshing to be able to consider the birth narratives of Jesus at a time other than Christmas. There is a lot that is going on in these narratives that is oftentimes overlooked. God had provided Mary with a wonderful husband and Jesus with a terrific father in the person of Joseph. This morning, I want to focus on the exemplary character of Joseph that is depicted in this narrative. It provides us with great lessons of applications, what qualities that we should manifest as husbands, what qualities young men should seek to develop in their own lives, what qualities should women look for in potential mates. All of these things, as we consider the person of Joseph this morning. The central verse is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you are not there, I invite you to turn with me. Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The passage centers upon Joseph's response to Mary's pregnancy. So we begin with a bit of background. First of all, this idea of Mary being betrothed to Joseph. We don't have anything in America that quite corresponds to a betrothal period. The closest thing that we have is engagement. Engagement is a time in which couples commit themselves to each other and anticipate one day being married. But that is not a legal contract by any means. It's not binding. People can break off engagements and often do. A betrothal period was something quite different in the New Testament era. It was, in fact, a legal uh, declaration and commitment of two individuals that were intending to marry, uh, oftentimes arranged by the families. But there would be a ceremony that would have taken place. And in the sight of the law, they would be considered husband and wife. But not in the fullest sense of that word. Uh, they would have yet another ceremony in which they would move into a new relationship of marriage, as we would think of it, where they would cohabitate, have sexual relationships, and it would be the, the final stage. Well, Mary and Joseph are in this betrothal period, meaning that they are legally bound to one another, anticipating the day in which they will come together and consummate their wedding. So we find in this verse, in Matthew 1.18, says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, and then we have these words, before they came together, meaning that it was prior to that final stage of marriage that I just spoke of and before they had any sexual relationship. Next, we find the words that she was found to be with child. She was found to be with child. We are not to think by these words that Mary was trying to hide her pregnancy from Joseph. 
nor that Mary had withheld the truth about her pregnancy. It would be very unreasonable to think that Mary had not shared all of the events with Joseph up to this point. And if you have a sanctified imagination, one can only imagine the difficult conversations that they must have had. How troubling, how emotional, how awkward, and how frustrating. Rather, the phrase, she was found to be with child, means that her pregnancy was now obvious to all. People knew that she was pregnant. Mary was showing, if you will. And so, now, Joseph is put on the spot. Now that it has become public knowledge that Mary has a child, what was Joseph to do? What was his response to be? Well, we're going to look at that response this morning and focus on the character that it reveals in the person of Joseph. So our theme this morning is what character traits did Joseph manifest in responding to Mary's pregnancy? And then what characteristics should we manifest in responding to our spouse. Well, the first thing I want you to notice in our text is that Joseph was a principled man. He was a principled man. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a part of this betrothal period, Joseph, her husband, now he's described as being a righteous man. Righteous man. He was righteous in that he sought to do what was right as outlined in God's law. He sought to be obedient to the word of God. He wanted to do what was right. He was a principled man. Secondly, he was a kind man. Notice verse 19. And Joseph her husband being a righteous man, and now these words, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. There was a dilemma that was created for Joseph. On the one hand, he was a principled man. He was righteous, and he wanted to uphold God's word and the law of God. At one and the same time, He did not want to publicly humiliate or disgrace Mary. He wanted to show kindness to her. Now, that's very interesting in light of all that has transpired. And uh, it is obvious that uh, he does not believe that... um, the message that Mary gave concerning the uh, pregnancy that she experienced. But indeed, he was a kind man. Joseph is the embodiment of Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, 
with your God. That exemplifies Joseph's response. He wanted to do justly, and he loved kindness. So there was the dilemma. What was he to do? Joseph was not seeking vengeance in any way. He was not trying to get even, as it were, for Mary's pregnancy. And he really wasn't interested in punishing Mary for this pregnancy. But he did feel as though he had to do something in violation of God's law. So in many respects, Joseph is much like Jesus. In John 1.14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here is a practical example of a person who is filled with grace and truth. Holding those two things which many times stand in opposition. How do you uphold the standard of the word of God and at the same time show grace and mercy to Mary? That was his dilemma. What was he to do? Many times people are either a person of grace or they are a person of truth. But having that balance can be very Very difficult, but it's wonderful when it's seen. Thirdly, Joseph was a reasonable man. Joseph was a reasonable man. Matthew one twenty. But when he had considered this, when he had thought about it, when he had contemplated what he was to do, when he was weighing the law of God against this desire to be kind and gracious to Uh, Mary we find that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream the conclusion that Joseph came to what he should do was that he had to divorce uh, Mary but He was going to do it in as civil and as kind and as gracious way as he could. So he wasn't going to make her a public obstacle, uh, uh, a a public public scene. Um, It was rare in the New Testament period at this time that someone that was taking adultery could be uh, stoned. But if you remember, Jesus is faced with that very question about uh, the woman taken in adultery. So uh, he could have uh, actually sought to have Mary stoned uh, for her pregnancy. But he decided he certainly wasn't going down that road. He wasn't going to head in that direction. But rather, he was going to make it uh, a situation where uh, he would... Treated as quietly as possible. The kindness of Joseph predisposed him to be receptive to the angel's message. Now look at Matthew one twenty. But we had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. 
Now these words. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, emotionally, he had been wanting to believe Mary. He wanted everything that Mary said to be true. But he wasn't buying it. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Just imagine that the person you are betrothed to and says, you know, I need to tell you I'm pregnant. But this is not like any other pregnancy. I had an angel visit me and said that uh, you were going to miraculously give birth and, and that the father of this child is actually God himself and go on and on and on. Well, you can imagine how one is going to respond to that, that message. And that's exactly how Joseph responded. He, he wasn't buying it. He wasn't, he wasn't accepting it. But as preposterous as that story was, He still didn't want to disgrace her or or make a public shame of her. We also know that Joseph had been trying to find a way out. Not a way out of the marriage, but a way out of the dilemma. He was still committed to Mary, despite her pregnancy. And he was in the middle of this dilemma of how do I stay true to God's law and at the same time show grace to Mary. So Joseph was looking for a way out. Not a way out of the marriage, but a way out of the dilemma. So the words that the angel brought were welcomed words. Notice verse 20. Do not be afraid, but notice what the fear is. It isn't that he's afraid of this angel, but rather it says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Afraid of what? Afraid of what God would think. Afraid of displeasing God. It's obviously not fearing what people think because that's not going to change as a result of this message. What Joseph is concerned about is that God is going to be displeased if I marry Mary. But he's going to find out that if he weds Mary, God, in fact, is going to be pleased. Why? For that which has been conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. So Joseph finds out that the opposite is true. In taking Mary to be his wife, Joseph will actually be pleasing God. And now he ha- now we have these words. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. I want to pause here and ask the question, what should we think about Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23? I would submit to you that Matthew 21 and, uh, 22 and 23 is not just an aside. It is not just an editorial comment for us to understand what is taking place. In the book of Matthew, there is unquestionably a uh, fulfillment motif. In other words, time and time again, we are told in the book of Matthew that something happens and 
Please take note that that is indeed fulfillment of Scripture. That is common. Let's just fast forward and look at a few of these. First, Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Luke, excuse me, not Luke, Matthew. Matthew 2, 13 to 15. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. The pages stuck together when I turned it. Matthew 2, 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, while it was still night, and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. Now these words. This was to fulfill what had been spoken of by the Lord through the prophet Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now notice 19 to um, 23. Excuse me, 13 to 15. Let's go right there. 13 to 15. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I've called my son. Um, I just read that, didn't I? I'm having a senior moment. Okay. 16 to 18. There's where we want to be. 16 to 18. It only gets worse, people. It only gets worse. 2, 16, 18. Then when Jesus saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the, from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and... She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Next uh, passage, Luke, uh, excuse me, Matthew two, nineteen to twenty-three. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, "Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead." So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother. And came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. And there came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So those are three examples. I'm not going to go through Matthew and read them all. But rather point out that there is a uniqueness to the section of pericope that we are in this morning. And that is that the prophecy fulfillment statement comes in the middle of the narrative as opposed to the end. It is customary that at the end of telling the story, it says, now this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, or this might be done so it might be fulfilled what the scripture says. But it comes at the end of the narrative. 
What is unusual is that in our particular passage, it comes in the middle. It comes in the middle. And to me, that says that Joseph was told by the angel not only that Mary's pregnancy was of God, he's obviously told that, obviously told that this is a work of the Holy Spirit, but I believe that Joseph was also told that this is in fact the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. That the woman that is spoken about, the virgin that is addressed in Isaiah chapter 7, Joseph, is your future bride. Mary is that woman. I believe the angel made it that clear. To Joseph. Not that this child is being born of of God, but he understood the the significance of it. Because the angel did go on to say that uh, he should be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the angel points out that Mary is the person of Isaiah 7, 14. What a message the angel brought. This had to have created the following responses. First, what a relief. What a relief. Ah, the dilemma is over. The questioning is done. The vacillating back and forth. What should I do? It's absolutely clear. You're to marry her. The angel tells him that. What a relief. More than that, what a comfort. You know, before, Joseph is thinking that Mary's been unfaithful to him. He believes that this birth would be like any other birth. He wasn't buying the narrative. But now, when the angel comes and speaks to him, now he believes. So, what a comfort. What a joy. Now this, this pregnancy takes on an incredible difference. Now it's not one of sadness or mourning or consternation or regret, but now it's what a joy, what a delight, and then ultimately what a privilege. And so he moves from a place of being betrayed to a place in which he has experienced great favor of God. All because he was, and I'm using the term, a reasonable man. He was willing to be instructed. He was willing to be taught. He was willing to hear. He was willing to listen. And in that willingness to sit and listen to Mary, and again, with a sanctified imagination, I can only imagine the tears that are flowing from her eyes as she's trying to convince Joseph. It must have been a heart 
rending situation in which Joseph's heart really was rended. He was moved with compassion and kindness. And that compassion and kindness opened him up to be ready to hear and receive and believe the Word of God. We too must learn to apply the Scriptures to our own personal lives. In 1 Peter chapter 3 it says this, You husbands, likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so your prayers shall be not hindered. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. In the context, it's talking about a marital relationship. It's not just talking about these things in obscurity or in ethereal kind of way, but be harmonious in your marriage. Be sympathetic with your spouse. Treat them like a brother or sister in Christ. Be kind-hearted. Be humble in spirit. And then after that exhortation, if you're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, if you have a New American Standard, it puts it in capital letters, showing that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. For, let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The scripture applies the Old Testament to this particular instance of how a person needs to relate to their spouse. That's what we have to do. We have to take the word of God and apply it to the situation in which we live. We have to be a people of the word, abiding by the word, submitting ourselves to the word. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And all the admonitions of the word of God, we need to personalize. You see? And if we are predisposed to honoring and blessing and loving our spouse, those admonitions are welcomed. We take that instruction and we embrace it. We're thankful for it. We want to do what the Word of God has to say. But you see, if we're cold-hearted, if we are a people who want vengeance, if we don't want to show kindness, then when we hear the God, Word of God, we are resistant to it. We put our hand out. We don't want to hear it. I can't tell you how important it is that the message that the angel brought was received as good news. It's not like, oh man, now i got to marry her. It was, I can marry her. And all the joy and the delight that goes with it. Fourthly, 
Joseph was a devoted man. A devotion to Mary that resulted from his devotion to the Lord. Notice verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So, he was obedient. Notice the end of verse 24. And took her, that is Mary, as his wife. But, notice that the devotion that he had to Mary flowed out of his devotion to God. His devotion to God is what reigns supreme. And it was that devotion to God, the fact that he was righteous, the fact that he was a principled man, that gave rise to the consternation of what should he do. And as a principled, righteous person, even though he was torn, on the one hand, to obey the law of God, and the other hand, to show kindness and grace to Mary, he was committed to doing the will of God. And so, he came to the conclusion that he must put her away, but he was going to do it as privately, as nicely, as gently, as kindly as he could. But his commitment to God trumped his love and his commitment for Mary. But the good news is in that love and commitment to God, Mary is a benefactor. Mary is blessed. Mary is honored. Mary is cared for. Because the devotion that he has to Mary rises out of his devotion to God. It is because of his devotion to God that his response to Mary is a kind response initially. It's because he loves God and loves mercy or kindness, as Micah says. Mary benefits initially as well. True devotion in our relationships to each other should and must flow out of our relationship, our devotion to God. That is the whole premise behind wedding vows. The reason the wedding vows are arranged in the fashion that they are is because ultimately the person to whom you are making the vow or the commitment is God himself. It's with the spouse in view But the commitments to God, it's devotion to Him. That, you see, is of far greater value and worth than even a person being devoted to one another. Because we know in America that about 50% of all marriages end in divorce. I don't believe that those people that enter in those marriages are intending to divorce. I don't think they're intending to, to just throw in a towel. But the commitment that we have to one another on an earthly level 
can wane. Emotions can fluctuate. We can feel one day a certain way and the next day feel quite differently. If love is just an emotion, marriage is a scary ordeal. If marriage is just about having a good time, well, the whole aspect of the vow is better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness, and health, because it, they, those situations come. But if the commitment is to God, and wanting to honor and glorify Him through our marital relationship, then you have an incredible foundation to establish a marriage, and an incredible foundation for real love to be showing to one another. There is an old adage, you probably have heard it, that a person is so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. There is nothing that can be farther from the truth. A person that is truly heavenly minded, truly in a right relationship with God, is is of the greatest earthly good. It causes them to be concerned about others. It causes them to love others. It causes them to do good deeds. Want a spouse that is faithful? Want a spouse that is loving? Look for someone who is faithful to God and look for someone who loves God. And if you can find that person, you will find a person that will be faithful and loving to you. Fifthly, Joseph was a disciplined man. Look at verse 25. Go back to verse uh, 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And now these words, and took Mary as his wife. So the betrothal period ends. The dilemma has been solved. And now Joseph formally takes Mary to be his wife. Final Public ceremony, husband and wife, fullest sense of the word, even as we would think of husband and wife today. Now, verse 25. But, kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. So now, here they are legally married. And legally can enter into a sexual relationship, but he keeps her a virgin until Jesus is born. Until Jesus was born. He practiced self-discipline. He practiced self-control. He was a disciplined man. He practiced discipline in the betrothal period. Even though the betrothal period is more binding than an engagement, still there was not to be any sexual relationship between the couple. But just as that is often violated today, it was violated in the New Testament era as well. 
All too often, people think, well, we're engaged, we love each other, we're going to get married anyway, so why not? Why not have sex? That wasn't Joseph's position. That isn't what Joseph wanted. He kept Mary a virgin. He wasn't pressing her to have a sexual relationship with him. But now the day comes. Now they're married. Joseph still doesn't pressure Mary to have sex with him, even though they're husband and wife. For he wants to honor this child. He wants to be faithful to God. And so they refrain from any kind of sexual relationship until Jesus is born. And that's important. Until it is, until uh, Jesus is born. Uh, The scripture does not teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. It doesn't teach that Mary was a virgin all her life. She was a virgin until Jesus was born. But after that, Mary and Joseph had a natural, healthy, uh, sexual relationship. Matthew 12.46 says, While he, that was Jesus, was still speaking to people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. There are other places in the scripture that talk about Jesus' brothers. But he was a disciplined man. That's what we want. Young men, young women, that's what you want. A disciplined, godly individual. Somebody who is not going to pressure you into having sex before marriage. And a person who is going to be faithful to you sexually after marriage. Probably not much of a reason to keep somebody a virgin after they are are married. In fact, the scripture would teach us the opposite. But there are things that happen. Illnesses that are contracted. Physical conditions that we are in. And some couples reach a point in their life when they can no longer have a sexual relationship. What is that spouse going to do at that point? Are they going to be faithful? Are they going to be true to their their spouse? Or are they going to say, I can't live that way. I can't handle that. I need to have a sexual out. Discipline. Discipline. The ability to say no to self in order to honor God. A quality that has many, many, many applications in life. Discipline. But here narrowly, even in a sexual relationship. Joseph, Joseph is quite the individual. Then lastly, he is faithful. He is faithful. For we find that uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, 
that he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He fulfilled all that the angel told him to do. And what a blessing Joseph was. Uh, We read later in the book of Luke that, as was the custom, yearly, Mary and Joseph went up to celebrate the Passover together. Every year, Joseph was doing what was right, taking his family to celebrate the Passover. When, Joseph, when uh, Jesus is 12 years old, you know the story there, there at the Passover. He's asking questions at the temple. They leave thinking that he is in the entourage, they being Mary and Joseph. And uh, they find out that Jesus is not with them. They go back to the temple. They find Jesus and it says, uh, he says, don't you know that it must be about my father's business? And then the next verse is, they return home. And all it says is that Jesus continued in subjection to them. Jesus continued in subjection to them. Jesus, as a boy of 12 years of age and as a teenager, continued in subjection to Mary and Joseph. How God provided for his son, Jesus, in giving him a father like Joseph. That was God's blessing to Mary. That was God's blessing to his own son. What a blessing it is to have a godly spouse. A person who is principled. A person who is kind and gracious. A person who is reasonable. Who listens to their spouse and listens to the word of God. A person who is disciplined. A person who is faithful. May God grant us all these qualities that others might be blessed through them. Let's pray.